And the young man said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to be here in this place with us this morning, and we trust that you have once again kept your promise and are here. May my words now be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. What a joy it is to be with you on Easter morning. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is there you go. I was thinking about it. I've preached probably, I think, eight or nine Easter Sunday sermons. I've been ordained for a while, spent several of those as an associate. You don't get to preach on Easter when you're not the head guy. Um, and you'd think after eight or nine Easter Sunday sermons that I'd either start, of, start to run out of things to say or joy with which to say them. Uh, but here we are again as full of joy as ever. Now, of course, I'm not going to say very much that's new. I didn't uh, do a, a deep dive into the text, into the original languages perhaps, and unearth some revolutionary and earth-shattering nugget that's going to make this a new and unique Easter message. All those new and unique Easter messages, probably not the best. But what I've done is I've dived, dove, in, dove deep into the text to bring you an old and predictable Easter message. The tomb is empty, death is conquered, and sinners are saved. Now, maybe old and predictable, but earth-shattering nonetheless. Specifically, I want to say two things to you this morning, two things that have been preached on Easter morning and really Every Sunday morning, hot tip, we have an old, predictable, and earth-shattering message for you every week here. I've got two things for you this morning, two things that have been relentlessly preached by Christ's church ever since that first Easter morning 2,000 years ago. These are the twin announcements of Easter. First, that Jesus is risen. This is not a metaphor this is a historical reality. The flesh and blood Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried. But three days later, he was flesh and blood alive. And the second announcement is like it, but sharpened to a fine point. Jesus is risen for you. What he accomplished was accomplished for sinners like you. So sit back, relax, and open your hearts to an old and predictable Easter message. Preach afresh all these years later, ready to shatter the earth once again. Jesus is risen, and Jesus is risen for you. So, Jesus is risen. Not a metaphor. It's not a story meant to encourage new beginnings. It's not about fresh starts or clean slates. It's about the man, Jesus, who was God incarnate on earth. It's about Jesus who was arrested, tried, tortured, and crucified on a Friday 
and who was then alive again on Sunday. Christianity, this religion that grew up around this Jesus, has therefore never been about new beginnings. It has never been about fresh starts or clean slates. It has always been about new life, literal new life. Here's St. Paul writing to the fledgling church in Corinth only about a generation after Jesus' resurrection. And he puts it incredibly bluntly. This is from 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So, if we have come here this morning remembering a nice, philosophically and emotionally meaningful story that's supposed to remind us of springtime and second chances, but that didn't really happen in history, you guys can go ahead and get to your brunch reservations early. Because this, these flowers, these robes, this is all a waste of time. But that same Paul is absolutely convinced that we are not wasting our time here. Listen to him lay out the evidence. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Now, as you process what Paul has said here, remember how close in time to these events it is that Paul is writing this. This first letter to the Corinthians is composed in something like A.D. 52 or 53, only 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And so Paul writes, as he alludes to in that last sentence that I read, as a man who was pretty recently a persecutor of the church. And so, if during those 20 years... If there had been a way to debunk the resurrection, Paul would have found it. He would have been desperate to find it. People were still alive. There were witnesses. If there had been some kind of cover-up, someone would have talked. The Jewish high court, the Roman legions, they all would have wanted to produce Jesus' body. Or shown that the disciples had stolen it. Or something anything to put an end to this. But not only could the authorities not expose any conspiracy, all of the disciples went to their own deaths, usually in excruciating martyrdom, proclaiming that Jesus was literally and in fact alive. And this transition from death to life, from literal death to literal life, is the backbone of Christianity. This is what we're doing here. Jesus is risen. 
But now let's talk about you. Your death and your life. The claim I made at the beginning is that Jesus is risen for you. And to talk about that, I want to call your attention to one verse in Mark. Really only two words. Something that might not have caught your attention as we read it just a few moments ago. It's from Mark chapter 16 and verse 7. There's this angelic young man. And he is attending the tomb, and after telling the women who have come to anoint Jesus' body that they're looking for him in the wrong place, that the living don't hang out in tombs, that Jesus is alive, he gives them a message to pass on to the apostles. Here's what he says. Go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. The two words I want to focus on this morning out of all that the Easter message has to offer us is, and Peter. Because in naming Peter, go tell the disciples and Peter, in naming Peter, Jesus, who left this message behind, is making a startling and wonderful announcement to the world that his resurrection, his real flesh and blood resurrection is For sinners, specific sinners, like Peter, and like you, and like me. Jesus first meets Peter when he's gathering his first disciples around him. Peter is a fisherman, and he and his crew have been out fishing all night and haven't caught anything. Can read this story in Luke chapter 5. Jesus walks up the beach in the morning and suggests that they try fishing off the other side of the boat. Like, you know, they haven't tried that after having fished all night long. But Peter and his guys do what Jesus suggests, and they catch so many fish that they have to call their friend's boat over to help them get the catch back to the beach without sinking And realizing that there is something holy about this man, Peter falls down at Jesus' feet and says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. This is their very first interaction. But Jesus, though he knows Peter to be a sinful man, does not depart from him. Instead, he invites Peter to follow him and become a fisher of men. I want you to keep this opening interaction in your minds. Peter tells Jesus to depart from him, thinking that there is no way that he is worthy of Jesus' company. And Jesus basically says, no, Jesus won't leave Peter. Jesus refuses to leave Peter again in Matthew 16. When he and his disciples have come to a place called Caesarea Philippi. This is a place where lots of different deities were traditionally worshipped. And Jesus here asks the disciples who people say that he is. And after getting a couple different answers, he asks them a more pointed question. Who do you say that I am? And it's Peter who steps out in faith. You are the Christ the son of the living God. Peter here is making the identification of Jesus that Christians will make from that day forward, even down to today. The Christ, 
son of the living God. Now, it's no accident that this confession of Peter's is the rock upon which Jesus says he will build his church. But things immediately take a turn. Right then, Jesus starts to teach the disciples about what he's going to have to undergo to save the world. The arrest, the trial, the torture, the execution. All the things that we read about on Palm Sunday and Good Friday. And Peter, horrified, says that he will never let any of this happen to Jesus. He will be Jesus' protector. We see as much when he cuts off the soldier's ear when Jesus is arrested. He won't let Jesus go out like that. But Jesus' response to this seemingly heroic pledge of Peter's must have felt to Peter like a slap in the face. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. But here again, Jesus does not leave Peter. Now, the order here is reversed. The the good thing comes before the bad thing. But I think we can say that Jesus knows who Peter is, exactly who Peter is, and what he's about to do when he announces that he will make Peter's confession the rock upon which the church is built. But Peter is fulfilling his worst fears from the day he met Jesus. It's turning out he's not worthy of Jesus' companionship and trust. But Jesus is remaining faithful. He is not going anywhere. Indeed, he's founding his church on a confession like Peter's. Jesus will not leave Peter. And then, near the end, after the Last Supper, Jesus takes his disciples out to the Mount of Olives and says to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. This is Mark 14. And Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. And we, of course, know What happened? We read about it on Friday night. All the sheep of the flock, including Peter, the one who had made such extravagant promises of fidelity, run away. At his most needy, Jesus is alone. His disciples and Peter had abandoned him. And once again, Peter's original fear has come true. Depart from me, he begged. I am a sinful man. And now he has denied Jesus three times. He is a sinner. He is not worthy. And we, you and I, come here this morning just like Peter. Sinners. Unworthy of Jesus. 
And now we hear that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is risen. And so we need to know that the good news of the resurrection is actually good news for us, for sinners like you and me. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And the women come back from the tomb and tell the disciples that it's empty. Jesus is alive. If I'm Peter, I'm immediately flashing back to the time that he called me Satan. Flashing back to denying, knowing him three times. To all the things I said and did that showed how unworthy I was. What a sinner I am. And now... He's back. I've mentioned it a couple times before, but I can't think of this moment for Peter without thinking of the Angels' 1963 classic song, My Boyfriend's Back. You've probably heard it. It's sung by a girl whose boyfriend went out of town and she's singing to some other guy who's been bothering her. My boyfriend's back and you're going to be in trouble. Hey, la, hey, la, my boyfriend. Okay. But two lines from this song really ring true when I think of Peter. My boyfriend's back. He's going to save my reputation. If I were you, I'd take a permanent vacation. Peter, hearing that Jesus is back, must have felt like he wanted to take a permanent vacation, right? The scorn he must have expected from the risen Jesus. The, the I told you so's. Some friend you are. You denied me three times. Oh, man, he must have thought. Jesus is going to be so angry. But the women have a different message. To Peter, the message that the women come back carrying is nothing less than the most important most comforting, most life-giving message in the history of the world, and it is a message for Peter. Remember what that angelic young man told them, go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going to keep his promise. He will go ahead of you to Galilee just as he told you. Tell the disciples. Tell Peter. Tell them all, but make sure you tell Peter that Jesus is going to keep his promise. In the face of all Peter's promise breaking, all his abandonment, all his failure, Jesus is going to be a promise keeper. My boyfriend's back and everything 
will be forgiven. This message sent by the risen Jesus is the most important, most comforting, most life-giving message in the history of the world because it is a message for you. This is the good news that we celebrate on Easter. Peter's failures. All of Peter's failures could not break his relationship with Jesus. Despite everything, it was firm, guaranteed, written in Christ's own blood. Ever since that first day on the beach when Jesus refused to depart for a sinful man. No, indeed, he knew he would go to the cross for a sinful man. As it turned out, it wasn't Peter's job to stay close to Jesus. It was Jesus' job to stay close to him. And he even came back from the dead to make sure he did it. The same is true for you. Jesus refuses to depart from you, too. He knows your sins. He felt their weight on the cross. Your sins are why he went to the cross. But your relationship with him was always sure and certain because it never depended on you. Jesus is your promise keeper. It's his job to stay close to you. And he went so far as to come back from the dead to make sure he would do it. Jesus has the same good news for you and for me that he had for Peter. I'm back. I love you. And I'm not going anywhere. Happy Easter. Amen.